1: Hello, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every episode we sit down with one of our favorite comedians to discuss one of their favorite topics and then trace the history to find out where it all went off the rails. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Wen Powers. Wen, how are you doing?
0: Andrew, I'm doing fantastic. I've actually slept the past week.
1: Incredible. Incredible.
0: And I didn't realize I hadn't been doing that. It's one of those things where like, you don't realize how tired you are until you get a full night's sleep. And I've just been doing that on the reg. It's, it's, it's life-changing. <laughs> Guys, eight hours a night, it will change your life. I swear to God. But
1: yeah, Andrew, how about you? How are you doing, man? Yeah, so you guys listen. This is uh, we're recording this before Thanksgiving. This is right after our political history episode. So yeah, we've just started sleeping again. You guys are after Thanksgiving, so you've got the turkey coma nap still going strong. But this is still new and revolutionary for us. I'm doing good here. I'm I'm starting to get prep for the holidays, which uh, basically just means like eating an entire turkey myself right now. Nobody can travel, but this is kind of what I always wanted. It's perfect. And we've got a uh, fantastic guest with us here, who I am so excited to have on. You can follow her at Miss Danny Fernandez on Instagram and Twitter. She has written for The Good Immigrant, which you can listen to on Audible or buy from a Bookstore. You may have seen her on Ralph Rakes the Internet, which Wen and I both watched entirely to see her on Ralph Rakes the Internet. She's been on Sci Fi's The Great Debate and very relevant for today. The Remembering Rod documentary on Rod Serling. Danny Fernandez, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing?
2: Yay! I love talking about Twilight Zone. I could talk about it forever. That is the plan. I actually, you can't see, like right now, currently, listener, my artwork behind me is Frida and Baby Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually have a ton of Twilight Zone art. I had a whole entire Twilight Zone wall that was so cool that I have the Beholder art. I also had the Howling Man, which is one of my favorite episodes. Monsters are due on Maple Street. Just a lot of cool artwork that I'd collected over the years of this uh, nick of time, the little devil seer coin operated seer. I had a clock of that. So I've grown up with this franchise and it's such a huge part of me. And it just, it's iconic and classic and still holds up to this day. It
1: absolutely does. And th- those are, of course, some of mine and some of everybody's favorite episodes. I of the was fantastic. I-, I rewatched Monsters Maple Street this morning again. It was so good and amazing how well it plus like every sci-fi series of today is thanks to Twilight Zone. It-, it wouldn't be here without that.
0: Yeah, I had cultural osmosis of the Twilight Zone before I ever watched an episode of the Twilight Zone. Like I knew the twists and turns of so many episodes where like I was just like, oh, yeah, this is a tree house of horror or oh yeah this is <laughs> oh, yeah. an episode of tiny tunes adventures that i watched yeah. like just they're they're so iconic that like it just permeates all pop culture at a certain point that every comedy show has done a twilight zone riff it's true Yeah. When I finally like found the show, it was on those uh, marathons that they would run on New Year's Day. And I would just like sit in a room and I would watch every single episode. I wouldn't leave. I would just sit there. We'd go over to my grandparents on New Year's. I would just like find their TV and like sit in a room. I'd watch like just tons of episodes of Twilight Zone with my granddad. So like this is one of my favorite series of all time.
1: <laughs> I, I think it's one of the things that, that is, is so culturally delved into it, it. It's almost like Citizen Kane in that everyone knows what Rosebud is now. It was all about that big twist ending. And it's so hard to get because you've seen it in a hundred different forms now over the years that when you get a new one that you suddenly haven't heard of before, it's magical. So you, you get the depth of how big these twists were, where these were long episodes where it was all these buildups. This last 30 seconds were what really mattered. And it somehow managed to hit over and over again. You were fine watching this entire show for that last 30 seconds where you didn't know what was going to happen.
2: I feel like though, yes, but I also feel even if you know the twist, because sometimes you can tell it coming, there's a way in which the social commentary is still so brilliant that even if you know, like it kind of reminds me of a horror film, like, you know, the killer is coming, you know, that this person's probably going to get killed. You can tell that this character is, but yet you're still on your edge of your seat. Right. And so I feel like even though today we might know some of those twists They're still such a brilliant, like they're so beautifully written where a lot of the dialogue and the social commentary about what was happening at the time, particularly treatment of marginalized communities, that's what makes it iconic and still stands to this day.
1: I think you're absolutely right in that there was so much depth to it and that you could watch it on a service level and be like, oh, this is the presidency coming. But ultimately there was this deep commentary and amazing writing and storytelling. There was a depth in the storytelling that got you involved because you could see parallels who. and kind of no matter what your life was there was something here that was relevant that you've seen in some form before and it's still true today and a lot of it is because it showed you know metaphors for the worst of humanity and the hardest things that we have to deal with and it, it did that so brilliantly that I think everyone was able to relate even if they didn't understand exactly where this metaphor was supposed to apply to it applied to them in some form
0: I mean every episode of the Twilight Zone to me is like a great magic trick you know like something is coming at the end but like it just hits every time and like there's so many different things happening happening underneath the surface that you don't even notice until boom, the trick has happened. You're amazed and you just watched a million little moments happen to make the culmination of it. It's literally a magic trick every episode.
1: It's absolutely amazing what they're able to do with it. And it, it was so fun rewatching it, realizing that I cannot think of many shows from, what, like 60 years ago that held up this well.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think Monsters are due on Maple Street for anyone that hasn't really watched The Twilight Zone is a perfect jumping off point for things that are happening today. Yes. That continue to happen today, like mob mentality, pointing fingers, like humans attacking other humans. That definitely still holds up completely.
0: Yeah, if you guys are not familiar with the Twilight Zone, I promise by the end of this, we are going to give you enough episode titles to last you like your entire binge.
1: (laughs) And Danny, can you tell us a bit about what you did for remembering Rod?
2: Yeah. I mean, they just kind of wanted us to talk about how Rod Serling has affected us in some way as writers and like his ideas. And I think it was kind of what I was saying is that he had to, okay, so he was making these back on network television at CBS in a time when, you know, you couldn't say there was a lot of upheaval, you know? or about to be a lot of upheaval too in the United States. And I think that he wanted to have a social commentary on human nature and just, you know, the good and the bad of humanity. And yet he had to do it in a way that executives would find it digestible. And it kind of reminds me in a way of X-Men, right? Because I feel like that's also the social commentary of X-Men, but it's in a way of like, which is sad to be honest, but Rod having to be like, look at the way that we treat alien, you know, you feel bad for this alien or you feel bad for this, you know, creature or whatever. Whatever. And really that's a person of color. It's just that they couldn't be on film or they weren't as accepted on film. And so he had to kind of subvert that in some way of making it digestible, I would say to white middle American audiences. But he there's a whole interview you can actually watch of him on YouTube that he wanted to do a story on Emmett Till. And he just was saying that they kept censoring it where they kept changing it and they kept changing like, you know, what happened to him or the character and he wasn't black anymore. And he was like, you know, what are we doing? Doing, you know, and so I kind of feel that way as a writer. We actually had this conversation before we started recording that a lot of times we get censored so much that your brain just stops thinking that way. Like you stop even trying, I guess is what I mean. And I think he felt that way is just like when you keep getting censored, you just stop even coming up with those ideas and not in necessarily the way of what he was trying to portray with Emmett Till. But I mean, like just these sci-fi ideas, these sci-fi fantasy ideas that kind of go against what is mainstream media that you just stop even pitching them. You stop writing them. And I feel that way sometimes with comedy, being a woman on the internet, so many people try to, well, actually, um, actually, uh, all of my jokes. And then it's like, this is not even worth telling this joke. So like, I don't even unfortunately go to express myself because I'm just so used to people trying to shut it down. And so I do feel that way about writers. I know that that is something that Rod has talked about. And he also was, okay, so sci-fi is a big deal now like it's very accepted now but it was kind of seen at the time him doing television at least him moving from books and and other type of literature to doing television was definitely looked down upon like you can watch interviews of him and people are like so how do you feel about this like you know it was like um tabloidy I think to people like it was very um you know the television they looked at television as they turned their nose up to it right like to TV over books. Um, And now we kind of do that with uh, our phones or social media. Like if you come up through social media, like if you're someone that started on TikTok or Instagram or Vine or whatever, and then like you're not as well respected as someone who started from like went to school, to be in front of the camera or whatever. But anyways, you can actually watch interviews where they're kind of like, why did you take this job? It's kind of, you know, below you type of thing. And so that to me is really fascinating that now it's like, at the time, Twilight Zone was a huge risk. Now it's seen as this iconic success, but at the time it was a huge risk and people were like, why are you doing this? thing. I think
1: you're absolutely right. And that's that's a great analogy too. I mean, obviously all of us got our start in some form on on social media and yeah, it's you, you immediately look to pad your resume with other stuff. It was like, yeah, this is where it started, but, and it's becoming more and more legitimate, but it's, it's still a ways off. And what you mentioned Emmett Till, the the movie he wanted to make about that, this eventually was noon on Doomsday, it was a film released, changed to the point where it didn't even take place in the South. It was placed in New England with an unknown foreigner. They just wanted to cover absolutely everything they could. And this was so incredibly frustrating. To Rod for good reason. One of the comments I had heard from him was that basically he realized if he wanted to tell his stories, he had to make his own show. The Twilight Zone was because he was so tired of fighting with these censors. Uh, obviously, he still have to do it in some form, but he created this amazing series where it was like, no, everything's in metaphor, but it's incredibly clear what it is. And it allowed him the freedom to create this absolutely amazing stuff and tell these stories that he wasn't allowed to tell otherwise.
0: Yeah. Like you said, how you had mentioned X-Men earlier. And funny enough, we actually had, I know you know, Jay Jordan, mm-hmm. we had him on in one of our earliest episodes talking about the X-Men and just like how he Serling was able to make this entire world like the same way that the the mutants and everything were supposed to represent you know black people in America. It Serling had this ability to just kind of like, oh, okay, you you will not accept a person of color on screen and yet you'll accept an alien and yet you know why is that where your empathy can lie and it like i said like a good magic trick i'm sure not everybody got it but the ones that it did i'm sure it just had this profound effect on it's same with x men comics where you know a bunch of people weren't getting it they were just enjoying the fun stories it just shows like a way to permeate culture in a way that you just can't do unless like you just you have that skill it's incredibly amazing to me
1: it absolutely was and i i know at this point we have so much here that i don't want to go into a deep dive on history <laughs> for once. I know that's normally my thing, but I want to give some background here on Rod Sterling. One of my favorite stories of, about Rod was him as a kid, and they're going on this two-hour road trip, and he had gotten in the habit of asking questions and not waiting for for answers. So for this entire two-hour drive, his family did not talk to see if he would notice that he was the only one talking. He talked for the entire two hours, was at no point aware <laughs> that's what was happening, and I felt like this is something you can. Ab- I mean. Some writers are fantastic listeners. Some writers can just do this. They can just do this endlessly. And he did this so well where he could go on and tell these incredible stories as much as he wanted. But one of the big impacting factors after this was his military career. He joined the army during World War II. He wanted to leave high school to do it. Thankfully, he had a teacher convince him to finish out and graduate first. So he served in the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 11th Airborne Division. I get the feeling... That he was confrontational, I would think someone like that is. No, that makes sense. He's he's a generally inquisitive person, and this led to there. There were, supposedly he was transferred for a number of reasons, but his sergeant had said he must have pissed someone off. Was what, of it just for he screwed up somewhere along the line? Apparently he got on someone's nerves because uh, he's transferred to what is nicknamed the Death Squad, just because their mortality rate is so high, and this has absolutely shaped his writing. This was the uh, 11th Airborne was being used as light infantry during the Battle of Late. He helped clean after the five divisions had gone earlier, but then he was transferred to the 511th Demolition Platoon. So this was Sergeant Frank Lewis that has a comment on it. And apparently he he was as he always was. He'd go off exploring on his own. He would occasionally get lost. He was obviously dangerous during the war, but he was also by all accounts, you know, a good show. He has Purple Hearts, a Bronze Star, the Philippine Liberation Medal. He did great. And one of the stories that I read this from so many sources suggesting that it was influential was Private Melvin Levy. The situation around this, some say he was taking a, a picture with Sterling, some say he was telling a, a story, but he was, crushed by a food crate dropped by an airplane. One source says it's one says says crushed. But this was cited in so many different sources as this was a source for Serling who would, as we know from his many stories, just dove so deep into the idea of ironic death. This was supposed to be a source of nourishment and said it was what ended his life. Obviously, incredibly traumatic experience. He was injured. He had trouble with his knee for the rest of his life. He dealt with issues that were nightmares with flashbacks, obviously PTSD-heavy symptoms. And he said that he wrote his way out of this, basically. This was how he dealt with heavily traumatic memories from seeing the worst of war. And you'll see this featured throughout his stories, how many take place in the Philippines, on airplanes, in the military in general. This was what he used to share these stories in a way that was understandable and palatable and accessible. He shared these incredible stories and these, these traumas that he experienced in ways that the public could get. So I feel like this is some good brief background here into what made certainly the fantastic creator that he was. But I will cut that at like the five minutes instead of the, the 20 to 30 I normally do because th- the shows are so good. I know you want to hear about the shows. Tell us about the shows, guys.
0: <laughs> I mean, let's go into just some of these hits from these early seasons, because honestly, Twilight Zone early seasons, I mean, that's the basis of most of sci-fi that we watch today. Danny, give us some favorite famous episodes.
2: My, honestly, this is so cool is that my favorite episode changes as I get older. So I think a lot of people's favorite is Time Enough at Last. Time Enough at Last, Bridges Meredith where iconically steps on his glasses, Last Man on Earth, steps on, you know, all he wants is to read, steps on his glasses. That to me is, when you guys say the twist, that to me is what I think of when people think like, oh, and it has these twists and it's like, you know, all he wants to do is read and then guess what? He's steps on his glasses (laughs) i'm like you guys don't pay attention to the entire thing that's all you remember right you know like that to me is so fascinating like if you go back which that's never been one of my favorites and it was mind-boggling to me that it was people's favorites i think just because of the ending
0: yeah i think it's just one of those twists that people like it just sticks in people's minds like you you have people doing there was time now in like so many jokes since then but it's like the whole episode was about like The world ending. Right.
2: Well, the whole episode was actually about him ignoring everyone in his life. So it was twofold because if you watch it, if you pull back and you look at it and you're like, okay, I don't understand why this horrible thing talking about ironic deaths or like things that shouldn't happen to people, how unfair the world is, right? All he wanted to do, like his wife gave him a hard time. His boss gave him a hard time. Everyone basically treated him like he was a nerd loser who just wanted to read all the time. And then he finally doesn't have his ball and chain wife anymore. She's dead. His boss is dead. He finally gets to do the one thing he wanted to do this whole time. And then he steps on his glasses. But if you look back, there's other ways to look at the story. And that's why I think Twilight Zone is so fascinating because you look at the story and you look at a man who is so detached from the other humans around him that he is almost punished for it. He would rather read books, stick his nose in a book, or the equivalent of us if it were being made today, it would be us and our phones of not interacting with other humans that he is now punished for the rest of his life. So there are multiple ways to look at it, but I always find it very fascinating that people are like, and then he stepped (laughs) on his glasses like that is and I hate for you know I understand average viewers and stuff like I I love that anyone anyone at any capacity enjoying Twilight Zone but that's kind of what I mean is that like everyone it's kind of like people remind it as M. Night Shyamalan like the twist what is the twist and it's like no but there's so much social commentary that's happening the entire time and it might take years of you going back and looking at it and actually now as adults understanding some of the commentary so that actually has never been one of my favorites although I love Meredith in that and the other Twilight Zone episode that he was in. But for me, my favorite is The Howling Man, one of my absolute favorites. That is where they capture Satan. I love it because I'm a horror baby. I love horror. (laughs) I love scary movies. And it is the exact. Trope. You open in on this castle. It is lightning and thunder and raining. And it's like this mysterious cult. And it's like all of these really cool things that you want to watch when you're like snuggled up on your couch and it's like raining outside and you just want to watch something creepy. And like it reminds me of the beginning of Clue, too, like just like, oh, you're like in for the night, fireplace on, you know, and of course also has this commentary about more is than meets the eye and trusting people who end up, you know, giving your trust to people who end up harming you in some way or how the devil has been able to kind of the lore honestly of Satan but how he's been able to escape throughout time and how every time he escapes there's a massive war so anyways there's so much to tackle but like that's one of my favorites just because it feeds into our fandom um, service or whatever of it being like the classic scary horror-esque buildup.
0: Anything really with the devil in it I'm automatically in. I'm just mm-hmm. like for some reason like whenever a writer is just like I I'm gonna take on the devil i'm just like i i love it Every, i was watching constantine last night and peter strawmeyer's devil and that is like my favorite iteration but like just like the idea of just this ultimate trickster which is what the howling man i mean trickster is how you want to discuss it but anyways, yeah love it it's,
1: you just do a super chill trickster devil <laughs> not all the fall of mankind
0: <laughs> yeah trickster yeah I make, <laughs> I make him sound like he's the mask but no it's he
2: is incredibly hot <laughs> he's also incredibly hot i think he was like my wall paper for like an entire month (laughs) incredibly attractive I would have also you know let him out I get it so but if we're if just to list some of the most iconic ones that are always on the like top 10 Twilight Zone episodes would be Eye of the Beholder Eye of the
0: Beholder is one of my favorites Sure. Pig
2: Doctors, you've probably, if you've never watched a Twilight Zone episode, probably seen the Pig Doctor face at some time. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, William Shatner, probably the most famous, I feel, Twilight Zone episode. It's referenced the most. Ace Ventura, you have Treehouse, you have, you know. They
0: even remade that one with Adam Scott for the
1: reboot.
2: Mm, yes, that and... John Landis's movie, it's also remade.
1: Also, this was so abstract. It was almost like a throwaway on 30 Rock with this little nod to it where Liz Pan, she says, there's a man on the wing and then she realizes they're on the ground and it's just a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> it was such just a, a quick nod, but I loved it so much because you know anyone, which is, is most people, got mm-hmm. this immediately and it was, it was so perfectly done where it just it just let it hang there. I loved it.
0: 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. And that's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and
1: conditions apply. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts was so perfectly done where it just just let it hang there. I loved it.
0: When I was a kid, my favorite was It's a Good Life, which is about this town that it's separated from pretty much time, space, location by this boy that's gifted with extreme psychic powers and pretty much rules the town with a child's iron fist. And for some reason, that episode terrified me (laughs) specifically like someone finally talks back to the kid and like you only see it in silhouette but you just see this guy transformed in what is essentially like a jack-in-the-box head that's like going back and forth in silhouette and it terrified me. It was one of the first episodes I ever watched and I literally just like I I could not watch anymore like that was when I like ran out of the room because like just the idea body horror is like one of my ultimate like terrifying things so like that was my first introduction to body horror was like this man talked back to a child and now he is no longer human and is just like this like monstrosity in the corner.
2: My family and I would reference that all the time. We'd be like you're a bad man. You're a very bad man and that (laughs) I Actually, that episode got referenced a ton. The past four years after the election, oh, that for sure. the good place of a, a child just tantruming and demanding that he get his way. I saw a lot of art of that. <laughs> so it's such a
1: terrifying concept of someone who doesn't have the intelligence to understand the repercussions of their actions, but has all of the power to do whatever they want. It's inherently incredibly frightening. And yeah, obviously, again, so many real life parallels. But I, I think my favorite episode was Long Distance Call, which... Which I liked because I feel like this was the longest I had ever had goosebumps during a suspense thriller. Like the entire episode, and and the basis of this is just again a boy. His grandmother dies; she's incredibly attached to him. Right before she dies, she gives him a toy phone, and now he's talking on the toy phone, supposedly to no one, but obviously to her. And uh, spooky enough to begin with, but then it gets a twist of she's lonely and trying to convince him to kill himself to join her. And it was amazing how quickly they were able to lay all of this out and get you invested and just to to not be terrified, just to be on the edge of your seat the entire time to try and figure out how they're going to realize this. When is this going to end? How is this going to end? It was, it was so well done. And I I liked that. I was just caught up in it the entire time.
2: One that I want to recommend that like, if you haven't seen these, I'm not going to give away, but is The Invaders. The Invaders was actually one of my mom, my mom was terrified of it growing up. What's fascinating about it is it there's no talking. And so when the actress got her script, she was like, which by the way, getting asked to be on the Twilight Zone was really cool. They have a lot of amazing guest stars to like, you know, you'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, I recognize him from I Dream of Jeannie. I recognize, you know, William Shatner. I recognize, you know, there's so many people that went on to do amazing work, but the invaders was really fascinating because it was like when they got their script, there's like, there's no words. Where's my script though? Except for the very end. So to be able to carry a half hour with no speaking and have it be terrifying or have you know at least when you're little but now it's just very intriguing slash creepy you know and takes place on this little deserted rural house that experiences invaders like definitely watch that definitely go if you're new to Twilight Zone go and watch that because it's it's a fun one but again something that they did so successfully is like I, I would love to do that as a as an artist is just see like what can we get away with how can we still upset people <laughs> even with no no dialogue
0: I feel like it's something that a lot of shows had tried to emulate since like you you get Buffy's Hush episode, where like they just tried to strip all the dialogue and, and see what you could have. Like shows have tried this, but that was like I feel like that's one of the first iterations of of just like trying to do a completely silent episode and only using the talking to kind of like break the spell in a way. I don't know. I I, I love that one.
1: I think something that I have in my notes here because this was so absurd. With so many Twilight Zone episodes, feel like a concept you'd be given as a writing challenge that most people could not do. Like- Like, from the episode two with Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery, you have an entire episode with two characters who do not speak the same language. From the premiere episode, where you've got all but the last four minutes, is a single character in in an empty town. Imagine creating a brand new show, you're introducing an actor who's not even going to be in another episode, and you're asking the audience to just watch him be alone and scared for 20 minutes. And this is the first episode that was so incredibly bold. And of course, they pulled it off brilliantly. And all of these things, I I feel like it's absolutely something you could get in a writing class, where most of the students would just say, nobody can write this. This (laughs) You you can't do this and make it good. And Serling and his Team did it over and over again. It was absolutely incredible.
2: Yeah. And I think just like he was constantly playing, like you said, he was heavily influenced by his service, by having to go to war. And you just see a lot of that. Not only is that a theme for many of the episodes, it's either you're dealing with soldiers, you're dealing with Air Force. They also, this was when they were exploring flight. So there's a ton of that, like fear around, obviously, Nightmare at 20,000 feet, but like, and they're smoking. (laughs) You could smoke back on a plane then. You know, I was watching that. I'm like, I'm terrified just at the idea of flying back then flying in the fifties. That's terrifying. Like those were pioneers.
0: Yeah. You have to get all dressed up. Like,
2: (laughs) Well, they did, but also I'm like, how safe is this plane? You guys have only been able to fly commercial flights for so long. So I, you know, that to me itself, it didn't even need a monster. Like just the idea of being on that plane, but flight exploring, exploring space. Like this was, you know, the fear of the unknown. And that was largely, he could take that fear, like the fear of Mars, the fear of invaders, the fear of aliens, but then just make it the fear of each other. Like just the fear of the unknown is the fear of, like you said, a foreigner, someone that's not from this country, someone who's not on the same side of the war as us. And so that was a lot of the themes is like this fear of the other person, you know, that we have this of each other. I actually did a monologue. So there, Mark Bernardin, who's a television writer, he's written on Castle Rock and He-Man and like a bunch of other things. He did the nerd monologues which were these during the pandemic he was doing uh having different actors do like their favorite monologue from a sci-fi nerd show or whatever and i did one from the monsters are due on maple street that was about it was about prejudices it was a prejudices can kill and like suspicion can destroy and he was saying like this attacks not only us but our children and the pity of it is is that it's not confined to the twilight zone and it was like such a brilliant monologue <laughs> that he did that Again, still holds up to this day that prejudices are killing people. And, you know, what he would always kind of end with is what I saw him as a narrator, which if we're just talking about him, he did not start as the host of the Twilight Zone. He was a writer, you know, creator of the Twilight Zone, but was not meant to be on camera, which is funny because now he's iconic. Sure like his iconic eyebrows, his iconic suit with him smoking. He's our leader. He's at least the safe. He's the known thing. He's the tether. He's the safe guide. We know it's going to get messy and scary and maybe things that we don't necessarily want to look at ourselves, but he's the one there to kind of hold our hand and take us through this journey. But what I think he always says at the end is like, you know, this is not just in the Twilight Zone. This is not just sci-fi and you can turn off your TV and like, oh, I'm glad that doesn't exist today. It's like all of this exists today and i think that that was his way of being like but i'm here i'm like a great he's like you know a grandfather who's like so wise trying to like help you on this journey but yeah yeah i think it's uh terrifying that it's still relevant unfortunately that most of those episodes are still relevant absolutely
0: i mean i mean just to plug another one is after hours yes which i feel like is one of those great social commentary of she's surrounded by you know This woman's in a department store and the mannequins are alive and they're moving and she's terrified of them. And guys, I'm sorry I'll ruin this one, but it turns out (laughs) she's one of them. She had left and she's drawn to coming back. And she's not terrified of them. They are her people. That's just one of those ones that just like really just stuck with me throughout. It's just like she's surrounded by what she believes to be monsters who are going to attack her, going to hurt her. But no, she's one of them. They are her people. She is she is amongst friends here. And she just didn't know how to communicate it till the end. And I feel like that's such like a one of those great ones that once again, it's not just in the Twilight Zone. It's amazingly done.
1: And I feel like that's one of the things they did so well, too, was that the twist wasn't just a surprise at the ending. That The twist was so often that you realized what you assumed the entire time was completely wrong. And uh, and that's absolutely incredible That that at the end of every episode, you're forced to rethink everything you just saw and look at it through new eyes.
0: The twist a lot of the times was you are the villain in your own preconceived notions that you are looking at someone else and thinking they are the bad guy.
2: It's like in a war, both teams think that God is on their side. Absolutely. Right. And the After Hours, it's funny because we were saying like, oh, my favorite has changed. It was The Howling Man, Midnight Sun is another one that I always grew up loving, where Earth is moving closer to the sun, and then The After Hours. The After
0: Hours is such a great one. It's my wife's favorite, actually. She had me rewatch it with her beginning of quarantine. Netflix had the original Twilight Zones, and we were going through our favorites, and that was the one that she was just like, turn your phone off, you are not going to to look at it. You're going to watch this episode with me. It's one of the best.
2: Yeah, definitely. If you're watching, please turn your phone off just because it's like not made like things even today are kind of made where Netflix knows, you know, the stuff that they put out now. They know that you're on your phone. So it's just made a little bit different. Also, everything if you watch on net because I've wrote on a show on Netflix <laughs> this past season, um, they typically always end in a cliffhanger so that you have to stay and wait for the next episode. And so whereas Twilight Zone, it normally cleans everything up in the end there's some type of like reveal or resolution or whatever and so you know do the honor of this iconic work by like putting your phone down when you're when you're taking in just 30 minutes so you know they're less than 30 minutes episodes but when I think of the after hours or the hitchhiker which is also kind of one of those twists where it's like oh I was this thing there's a point in your sleep where you're not quite awake you know when you're waking up in the morning you're like not quite awake that's actually where I've done a lot of sleep hypnosis for different things things in my life. And that's kind of where they try and catch you is like right before you fall asleep or right when you're not quite waking up yet. And that I feel is what the Twilight Zone feels like. Absolutely. (laughs) Those episodes are also dreamy. They're also like perchance to dream is another one where it's just like "Mm, the reality is it's just so like a gray area that you can't quite explain. Whereas like a straight like horror and that's where I think the sci-fi kind of comes in more. Whereas like a straight scary movie or horror film is like very raw, intense, aggressive. They, They have a knife. Whereas Twilight Zone is just like this dreamy state of kind of fear. And that's what I feel like a lot of those. The Hitchhiker feels like this like weird, dreamy state that you've like walked into this other, even her narration, the woman in it, it's just like, kind of lives in this world of did this really happen? Did this thing happen? Did I dream this thing happen? And that's what I feel like a lot of the episodes feel like.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's why it was so aptly named too, Where and it was so set up with like, yeah, this is the Twilight Zone. This is, he. you have stumbled into another world that could easily be your world. Danny, where did it go wrong?
2: You know, we've been talking about these half hour shows, which I think are perfect. Most of the things I've written on have been half hour, and Twilight Zone season four is a full hour. It's also not accessible on Netflix. There are other ways you can watch it, but season four, they moved to an hour-long format, which Rod Serling, the producers, Richard Matheson, who's one of the writers who've written a butt. he wrote Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, did not agree with. So this is from Rod Serling. This is a quote from him. He said. That ours is the perfect half hour. If we went to an hour, we'd have to flesh in our story, soap opera style. Viewers could watch 15 minutes without knowing whether they were in the Twilight Zone or Desilu Playhouse. This is from Richard Matheson. I just have two more quotes. One from Richard Matheson. He said, the ideal Twilight Zone started with a really smashing idea that hit you right in the first seconds. Then you played that out and you had a little flip at the end. That was the structure. And this is finally from Buck Houghton, who's the producer. He said, this is the, my favorite, people will go along with an old gag you say hey I've got this fellow who can walk through walls okay what else you got by the time the 40th minute comes along you gotta be walking on water to keep an audience and I agree so it was like that's why Twilight Zone is so iconic you get in you have this idea you have the social commentary they flip it on you and you get out when you pull that and you have to double the time you got it it's like with improv you got the gag you know what it is the first 10-20 minutes you know whereas in the old episode Okay, you know what it is by the 20th minute. What is this last 10 minutes going to do? But now it's like you know what it was in the 20th minute. Now by the 40th minute, it's just you this is not necessary.
1: Yeah, you're 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 over it. Yeah. I think we've all had experience where we're writing a piece and we know there's a word count we have to hit and we feel like this is done. I've got this here and I have to write another or, and it's like, yeah, I can fill this, but it's done. The story is done. And that's endlessly frustrating. And occasionally you come up with something great out of it, (laughs) but sometimes it's just, you know, you're putting in filler and these stories were so tight. I mean, honestly, I I feel like so many of them could be used in writing classes. And obviously Serling did teach where it's just, no, we did exactly what we needed to do. We got in, we got out we hit every mark and at an hour instead you're, what was so great about the Twilight Zone was they didn't need to build a complete world for each one. It was a version of our world. And when you're doing an hour show, you're world building. You're trying to to create circumstances doesn't necessarily need to be there. And it did get very frustrating and disappointing and especially disappointing because we all love Rod so much. We know this wasn't what he wanted. And you're going through these episodes and it's like, no, I know what he would have done but this isn't it.
0: I mean, just to go on something that I said earlier, if those 30 minute episodes were a magic trick this is all like imagine like you know you're just doing the movements that you need just to distract long enough for your trick to actually at the end wow somebody but the hour long episodes feel like a magician who's just doing a lot of like grand hand motions and banter and like just it's just like extending the bit before the trick way too long that when it happens you're like fine the handkerchief (laughs) is long why did you do all the rest of this bullshit i had to watch
2: we've all seen those like snl sketches that are like so funny up top, but then they keep going and it's like, okay, this is, can you cut to commercial? Right. You know, it's like it just goes on for too long. We got it. We got the joke. (laughs) I hate filler dialogue, like whenever I'm writing a script, like just filling in pages just to fill in pages. And Serling was teaching. He was off at Antioch. He was teaching mass media and writing in dramatic form to undergraduates. And he was still having to kind of churn out Twilight Zone scripts, but they did not have his full attention. You know, he was off. So he would have to fly in to host the Twilight Zone these episodes so they would actually record three to four at a time they put them in front of like a gray backdrop as opposed to typically with each Twilight Zone he was on the set you know they would pan away and he would be in the office that this person was in that was just talking in or whatever he would be you know against a brick wall if it was you know outside or whatever but they would film three to four and what happened was the script then couldn't really change because they would film it before they would film the episodes so it was like. Like if you're, and we all know, like if you're working on a on a script, sometimes it changes on set. Sometimes it changes and it's like, oh, this is too, this does not feel good. Like let's, you know, you come up with an, a new idea or whatever. So so they couldn't really do that. So it was kind of like mismatched. But again, yeah, he they weren't getting his full attention. This also probably wasn't, like we said something that he really wanted to do was stretch it to an hour long format. So that's kind of where they went wrong. And honestly, that's why these aren't really remembered as much aside like whenever we list the, the favorites, they're normally season two and three. Most of the ones we listed are season two and three, if not three. Three, I think, is, like, one of the best. Two has it. two has a, I mean, they're all great, but two and three are, like, whenever people have the list of, like, top 50 or whatever, they normally come from those. But, yeah, I mean, aside from people don't really have access to these if you're not watching them on Netflix, but they're not, they just don't have the same, like, allure to them as the, as the shorter ones.
0: They didn't permeate the cultural consciousness like yes. those first three seasons did like i'm trying to think of like an hour-long episode that doesn't come from like the brand new one i'm trying to think of you know those middle kind of twilight zone iterations and the only one i can think of off the top of my head is where the woman goes back in time and becomes a nanny for the hitler family (laughs) (laughs) and that's just because of how funny i thought that episode was at the time that she oops i made a hitler like that's the only
1: (laughs) god i wish that was a
0: title Oops, I yeah, made yeah, a that's Hitler. that's the famous episode. Oops, I made a Hitler from from the '90s Twilight Zone <laughs> era.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say one of the ones that I remember that I actually do enjoy is this man who works at a wax museum that has serial killers. That actually was cool, but again, doesn't need to be an hour, right? Right. But that is cool. Where it's like you're oh, it's so creepy that he like sees them every day and he like really like you know when you become a fan of the thing that you're working on or work or whatever, even though he's kind of idolizing these serial killers. If I remembering that correctly and then uh, there's one of about Shakespeare but other than that I don't think there are people who do enjoy these ones a lot but I just think that they run on too long
0: I feel like it's it's not that so much that they're bad but they're not the Twilight Zone if that makes
2: sense well technically they're not the Twilight Zone because they also dropped the in this so it's just Twilight Zone right you're right season four is just Twilight Zone but they did the one thing that was great is they changed the the now iconic man mannequin that's like floating through you know the space and like this that happened in this season so they changed the opening where it's like the door the mannequin um and the uh what else did they have the clock I think like that changed I don't know if you've noticed but like every season kind of has a different opening I believe the first one was just kind of like dusk Like we said, it's like the Twilight Zone. Like it's just kind of looking at this like dusk and uh, we don't see Rod. He's just introing. But yeah.
1: I thought an interesting thing that certainly mentioned when he's on Night Gallery starting in 1969, he had a quarter million dollar a week budget at its height. Twilight Zone had 70000 a week. At its low end, he said 5000 per episode, which also meant sometimes they put in a few weeks' worth into one episode, which means the next three to four afterwards, they've got no budget to work with. It's it's not hard to spot some of these episodes, and it's not like special effects. I mean, this is special effects starting in 1959. This is not easy to do to begin with, but he's working off of no money with these, and then you stretch it out to an hour format. What are you going to put in here? That's why you also see some episodes where it takes place in one room. It needed to take place in one room, and they do the best they can with that. So what are some of the least favorite episodes here then? Can I start off with Jess Bell, uh, <laughs> which felt heavy-handed to begin with, just the Jezebel reference, but this is the, by the way, again, fantastic guest stars. This has Anne Francis in it from Forbidden Planets, which is one of my sci-fi classic favorites. So uh, Jess Bell wants a potion to make a man fall in love with her. <laughs> and the price for this is at midnight every night, she turns into a leopard, and they've got to tell this for an hour. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Just a whole episode of just turning into a leopard at night. Can I guess the twist? Did the leopard her kill
1: him? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would have gotten that (laughs) in minute six
1: and I would have watched that for a full hour. Here's the (laughs) thing. They could have done that in half an hour. It had to be a good twist. But no, uh, instead, they don't know it's her and they kill the leopard. Also, an okay ending, but they still have another half an hour. So now she's in like this ghost witch haunting them thing. It had, I really feel like it could have been a solid half hour, but it was just, they just had to keep stretching it. And it kind of went nowhere a lot of times.
2: You know what I think? I'm looking at this and I feel like the bar... The final episode might not be a full hour. I don't... I'm also curious if they enjoyed any of these. Like, if you were to ask them if Rod or Matheson or Buck Houghton, like if they enjoyed these episodes, a lot of my knowledge actually of the inner workings, the behind the scenes of a lot of these is from the Twilight Zone Companion, which if you, I highly recommend. It's just, I have it on audiobook. I love listening to it and they break down every single episode. They'll like talk to you about, and if they have behind the scenes facts about it, like some of the laws that they had back then, kind of like on ours, like you can't show, I don't know if people know this, but you can't have real money on set. It's always fake money yes
0: I did know that one
2: yeah it's always fake money anytime that you see money in a movie and so it's just stuff like that where it's like they couldn't really gamble so they had like it was like just they couldn't have a real slot machine it was like random weird facts so highly recommend to people check out the Twilight Zone companion which is how I found out actually just a tangent I was telling y'all about when we first were talking about this episode something that I wanted to talk about was the Purple Testament yes was an episode where the people involved were involved in in a plane crash or supposedly in a plane crash the night that it was set to air and so there is a disputed rumor different people say different things again this was decades ago that CBS held the episode because they thought it would be in bad taste to air it before they found out if they were alive or not. Oh, wow. Because whenever anyone talks about the a crash, people always talk about the John Landis Twilight Zone movie crash. But I was trying to tweet out to people I'm like, no, there was another crash that happened. And everyone's like, oh, no, you're talking about the Landis. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the original one. <laughs> it's
0: a different plane <laughs> crash.
2: Well, it's just annoying that people like even me. Like I said, I was like in a Twilight Zone documentary but I like couldn't quite remember the you know there's so many episodes so I was like which what is the one where they held it for a little bit um I think that people said they did end up showing it at the normal time but maybe they were at least discussing holding the episode because they thought it would be in bad taste but everyone's like no you mean the John Landis crash and I'm like okay everybody knows that crash like I feel even if you're not a Twilight Zone fan you might have heard that there was a horrifying crash uh on the set of the Twilight Zone movie but there was this you know, I guess the lore behind some of the hauntingness of. Of Twilight Zone, like you know how Poltergeist has some of that lore. The Crow has that lore of like things going wrong.
0: Yeah, the Exorcist movies have that kind of lore.
2: The Exorcist, yeah.
0: I also can't imagine someone having the gall to go against Danny Fernandez on (laughs) any piece of (laughs) pop culture knowledge.
2: I don't know everything, like you know, people might be like, I don't know everything about this this franchise, but I definitely grew up with it, and so I'm not like you know, I wouldn't. I at least know enough to be like, hey, what was that episode again? like, and not be like, oh, I totally missed the whole entire crash. Oh, what I was going to say is the Purple Testament was about the story of a man who can forecast death. It's an inf- a platoon, a U.S. Army in the Philippine Islands. Again, going back to Serling's war experience. This is the opening narration. These are the faces of the young men who fight. Anyway, so it had to do with war. And then they were like involved in this crash. And so it was just kind of like wild. And I think...
0: Scary. Yeah, I think especially if, if it's about a character that can forecast death and there is a plane crash mm-hmm. where you're not sure if they're okay, you you definitely, I understand, being like, maybe we should hold off on this one.
2: It was uh, the director, Director Richard Baer and William Reynolds, who were filming at the time The Islanders, were in a plane crash with one person on board the plane being killed in the crash. Reynolds claimed Rod Serling pulled the episode from its scheduled screening day out of concern for the families of Reynolds and Bear. So... Um, but people have disputed that over the decades. If
1: we can go back to Danny's pop culture expertise, she told me about this idea, and my response was like, "I want to participate in this conversation." <laughs> the only knowledge I have is of the the movie crash, and she was so like, "No, there's another one." And I, I got to into this, but the depth of knowledge in the pre-conversation before this was so interesting because I mean, I try and, and research this stuff, but I'm coming at this of I've got you know a week to learn as much about this topic as possible. It was very cool to hear all different perspectives that we could take uh, on this episode because there there was a lot here and so much that I didn't know uh, and got to learn about and prepping for it. I mean, this, the series itself was fantastic, but there was so much behind it and one that does deserve. I, I spent a long time searching for one documentary that I wanted to see so much I couldn't find it. And then we talked to Danny and she mentions I was in this documentary. <laughs> it. it was so cool. So uh, this is a fantastic, uh, this was an episode I was really excited to do to begin with. But guys, you cannot get a better source of information on this. So please go watch every episode now too.
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to say too, um, I follow Anne Serling, who is Rod's daughter, and she uh, has a book called As I Knew Him. If Rod fascinates you, he's a very fascinating person. As we said, he went on to do Night Gallery and kind of seen as like the grandfather, you know, of a lot of sci-fi and media, I would say, at least television. Yeah, so you can listen to that book of kind of her demystifying, I think, things about her dad. Her dad is definitely on this pedestal that we all kind of treat him as this icon, but that was her dad to her. And so she talks about his time in the war. She talks about what it was like going, you know, being a little girl with her dad working on the Twilight Zone. So that's also a great book if if you're fascinated by Rod.
0: I definitely want to check that out. I've been so fascinated with him since I mean, I went to Disney World when I was a kid and we rode that Twilight Zone Tower of Terror ride where he <laughs> where it's like the, the introduction that he introduces the ride and the, the plot of the ride and whatnot. And it's just I was so fascinated by his narration. I would like I was able to mimic it perfectly by the time we were done with that trip because I kept looping onto that ride just to watch the video with him because I just thought it was the coolest thing with him like narrating it. It was before I'd seen a single episode and that's why later when I did find the episodes, I was like, there's a whole show based on that (laughs) ride?
1: I mean, aside from the voice he chose for this host persona, his cadence, his delivery, it was so iconic for a reason because it was absolutely perfect. It just instantly draws you in. This episode is so hard to do as here's where it went wrong because everything was so good about this. Do either of you have, a, have another episode where it went wrong?
0: I mean, I don't have a particular one. I just think you can't have the level of of precision that Rod Serling would have wanted with an hour long format for 18 episodes. I mean, that's that's the big thing. You have to deliver, like, you can't have the hit or miss kind of thing that you had with the half hours because you have to expand these ideas way past their breaking point. I mean, just look at a, like look at Black Mirror, which a lot of people think of as the air to Twilight Zone these days. Once they extended to six episodes per season, I mean, you could say that a lot of people saw that there was a drop off there. Black Mirror was always an hour, but once they expanded the episode count, it, it's such a fickle thing. Once you decide to do a whole hour, you have to keep it tight. And if it's not going to be in you know the length of an episode, it's got to be in your episode number if you're going to give it that kind of level of precision writing that Rod Serling would
1: have. No, I I completely agree.
2: And I wanted to say so, like the reason why at least I believe the reason why it's not on Netflix is because with these half hour segments, like we were saying, okay, so that we would watch it at New Year's. Now, Sci Fi also has it on um, Fourth of July weekend, but that was that was also a tradition for me. Twilight Zone, I think, really did raise me. I mean, literally, my parents would put it on and then go and party like downstairs on New Year's. And my brothers and I were stuck upstairs with like popcorn or whatever Mighty Kid snack or whatever that is. Like they would give us those little heated up dinners or whatever. (laughs) I forgot the names of them (laughs) with a little like penguin. They were like the frozen dinners. You know what I'm talking about? And so anyway, so we we would be upstairs in like their bedroom watching Twilight Zone and they'd be downstairs drinking with their friends. And so we would just watch episode after episode. And it was really creepy when you're little you know so it kind of like a lot of those scary moments stay with you but anyways those are there in syndication right so they're airing on sci-fi or they're airing on some of cbs partners or sisters and the hour long weren't it was harder to have those in in syndication the 30 minute ones were were so that's why i think that's on netflix is that they bought the package the syndication package. And that does not include the fourth season, which are all hour long, but you can still get it. Like I have the DVD box. You can also watch it, I believe on Amazon.
1: It's on Hulu too right now.
2: Oh, Hulu. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh,
1: so as you, you can see it, I mean, we, we highly recommend watching all of them. Mm-hmm. It's even the bad ones. There's something there in, in absolutely every one of them. All right. So this was mostly where it went right. Some where it definitely went wrong. We do have a segment now in their defense, Danny. How do you defend where it went
2: wrong? Oh, I mean, I'm all about taking risks. I'm all about taking risks. I think in their mind, in the producer's mind, I mean, in the new producer, I forgot his name, but uh, the person that took over for the hour long shows, twice is just as good, right? So I think in their mind, they were like, well, if it's good at half hour, it's gonna be twice as good as an hour. You know, we can do more advertising. We can, you know, if you book a book a whole hour spot on on CBS. And so I think I'm all for taking risks. I really am. And so I feel that about a lot of franchises. One I would say in the sci-fi world would also be Star Wars. So many people are so precious about their IP and I'm not precious about the Twilight Zone probably because there's so many episodes. So like if you want to take risks, I feel Jordan Peele and I have some friends that are riding on on the new Twilight Zone, which is an hour long, which is again, difficult to do. I think that they are trying to take risks and especially since they know they're going up against Black Mirror. And so in their defense of this uh, season four, I think they still kept it in with the heart of the Twilight Zone of trying to like give you things that are controversial that make you think. I just think that it took too long. get there, I think it, like they said, it just, they couldn't capture the audience's attention and, or you were on to the joke. You were on to the twist too early, but in their defense, I'm always down for them trying out different things and not being so precious with the IP. I think Rod wasn't very precious with it, with some, even the half hour ones. There are ones where you're like, what is this episode? He plays baseball? (laughs) Um, (laughs) there's multiple baseball ones and so it's just like hmm, he is how many is it a person stranded somewhere they're stranded on an island they're stranded on mars they're stranded on you know it's like yes so in that though he gave us so many iconic ones but there's going to be some misses along the way
0: yeah for sure and as far as the the new ones are concerned i mean rod Serling is irreplaceable but i do enjoy jordan peele's narration Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. he definitely has a, a kind of swagger and candids to the way he he introduces and closes episodes that is reminiscent of of Rod Serling in those early episodes which I really enjoy I haven't gotten to watch all of the new ones yet but like I remember they put the comedian up for free yes I actually loved that one I thought that was great especially because like inside baseball comedy for me like I was just like yes this is a brilliant way of saying like once you say something on stage you're giving it up to people which is the basis of what that episode is about you you got Tracy Morgan playing the devil which is just like that's a casting I never would have done but he's so <laughs> like he's so fun in it that it's just like it's a really good episode and like there's been some hits with these new ones too that I definitely enjoy and recommend
2: we didn't talk about I did want to say there wasn't a whole one on the um I think the 80s right Forrest Whitaker so there is that Twilight Zone or maybe it was the 90s sorry everyone
0: I believe there was an iteration in the 90s I think Forrest Whitaker was the one who introduced things oh
2: it's just- 2002. I don't know why I thought it was so... That's
0: where Oops, I Made a Hitler came from, was that 2002 <laughs> iteration.
2: This was on UPN. These, I think I saw a couple of them because Sci-Fi did have them in syndication, I believe. But yeah, you know, without Rod, it's hard to rebottle that magic or whatever. So
1: I think to your point in, in their defense too, is that this show existed because they took risks. This was a big swing to take and they did it so well. And it, it wouldn't have happened if Rod wasn't such a strong and brave person in his writing that he was able to pull this out to begin with. It was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, any risk they wanted to take, yeah, I'd I'd like to see it. I'd like to see what they can come up with.
2: So I was correct. There was one in the 80s. I was like, okay. There was a Twilight Zone that happened in the 80s. It was from 1985 to 1989. Then there was another Twilight Zone that took place with Forrest Whitaker in 2002. And then we have Jordans now.
1: And the movie as well. That that one was a bit rough, (laughs) but there's been a lot they've done here. So normally we try to wrap this up with this is that we've covered everything, but we, we haven't. We haven't covered even close to everything, there is so much depth here, guys.
0: <laughs> There's so much lore and so many episodes.
1: I mean, the 80s one ran for four years,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: The original series had 156 episodes, guys. Just go, go watch it. We're we will do the best we can, but you got to do some of this on your own. Uh, please go, go Google this stuff, it's absolutely fascinating and so so good.
0: And Danny, I just got to say, thank you so much for doing this. My favorite thing, I mentioned this before we started, but my favorite. Thing doing this podcast is getting people who are just passionate about just a topic that people aren't thinking it's on the top of their heads, and your deep bench of Twilight Zone knowledge <laughs> and just nerd and just you know pop culture in general is so deep. Like, guys, I we're going to one day start putting the videos up for these, but I've been grinning like an idiot this entire time every time Danny goes off because it's just so fun to watch somebody completely in their element just know something and be able to just plow through. So thank you so much for doing this. This is literally one of the best parts of my week is doing these episodes, <laughs> especially when someone's so passionate and so knowledgeable.
2: I get so excited doing it. I get excited anytime I meet someone who hasn't seen it, which is why I think gatekeeping, especially again, being a woman in the nerd world, I find so fascinating because so many people treat you like crap when they find out you haven't seen something. And that to me is not a real fan. To me, real fans are like, holy crap, you haven't seen this? Oh my God. Okay, let me tell you, like, that's a real fan. <laughs> is someone who's so passionate about their series and their franchise or their IP or whatever that they, they're they just so excited that you get to experience it. So definitely, I always love giving people like, oh, you haven't seen The Twilight Zone? Like, oh, watch this, watch this, and then watch this one, you know, for each, like, because there's so many different- um,
0: There's so many genres inside the show itself.
2: Yeah, there really is. There really is. And so some are really scary. Some are just like, whoa, oh, this makes me feel a lot about humanity or- you know, someone. Some are just there, like you said, that have a really big twist. Some don't have a really big twist, but are just beautifully written or acted. Yeah, I love The Twilight Zone. I always love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, guys, I hope everyone listening is all in on this too. I can't imagine how you followed all of this and are not going <laughs> to go watch it right now. It is all available, and and please do watch it. And Danny, yeah, I mean, as Winston, we're so glad to have you here. When he and I first came up with the concept for the show, you were one of the first five names
2: <laughs> that oh, came up. Thank you. So we're
1: so glad to have you on. Thank you for being here, uh, guys. If if you enjoy this episode. Please uh, subscribe, give us five stars. It helps it so much. We're going to be back, as always, next week. So we hope you'll uh, join us again then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.